on the virtual Bible study tonight. We want to talk about how God deals with nations. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of us here in America, I, I know we have people who listen from other parts of the world too, but here in America we've just gone through or, or really are still in the midst of a pretty volatile election. What will the future hold? What will become of our nation? Those are our immediate concerns, those of us who live in America, which is obviously the biggest, big, big percentage of our listening audience. But they are people who listen from other parts of the world. And you may have concerns for your countries as well. Where, where, what does the future hold? Can we predict it at all based upon what we learn from the Bible? And that's what we want to talk about tonight. It's going to be an important discussion and discussion that's relevant to us, especially now. And you'll want to stay tuned. We're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, November 5th, 2020. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be here tonight. Kyle's here as well. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're listening. And we want to hear from you. Give us a call. Send us an email. Sign in the chat room. We want to hear from you on the program tonight. Uh, we, we just do a little bit of housekeeping. We don't have any immediate events coming up, any extra events coming up here at College View in, in the immediate near term. Uh, but we do want to encourage you to promote us uh, in the, on the Virtual Bible Study by telling your friends, by by uh, spreading the news on social media and uh, and get a bumper sticker. We'll send you a bumper sticker. Send us your snail mail address to our email address, questions at collegeview.com. Send me a, send me a bumper sticker. Uh, also, if you're not on our update, email update list, get on that list by just sending us an email and said, add me to your list. That's questions at collegeview.com. Your bumper sticker doesn't have to go on your bumper. It can go on your window. We have seen a listener put it underneath their driver's side window to do a little advertising in the drive through windows. Yeah. Uh, motorcycles, um, maybe uh, locker at yeah. school or work. Or yeah, we've maybe. seen them on motorcycles. We've seen them. I thought that was very clever. One of our listeners put it on the window, on the driver's side window, in such a fashion that it showed up when she, she drove through the drive through window, which we all do probably too often. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, uh, that was pretty clever. And, but use them as you can. We, did you mention that somebody put it on their their uh, motorcycle? No, on their on, oh, their, their, drink, their, on their drink, yeah, uh, little, uh, uh, little tumbler thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah the the. the Cup, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've had lots of uses. So let us know. We'll be get, glad to get you uh, one of those. All right. All right. So we want to talk about the state of our nation and where it may go. And just as a little footnote, Jacob, that may say something about our nation and where we're headed, for the second week in a row, our ad on Facebook has been rejected. We're getting a – you know, some of us have been predicting that there would be – an increasing measure of censorship against us as we try to just talk about Bible things. We're not talking politics. We're talking Bible. But for the last last week, we were talking about voting considerations. That was our topic last week. They wouldn't let us put an ad on Facebook, because I guess because it mentioned voting. This week, our title was How God Deals with Nations, and they rejected our ad this week. I guess because it said nation, the nation, national matters. Uh, I did have a, a graphic of an American flag there. Maybe they don't even like the American flag. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they censored us. So, you know, I, we've been hearing some in the news about censorship. And I'll tell you, I, I believe we're beginning to experience it. What will that lead to? Those are the kind of things that raise concerns for us. I mean, we're concerned about our nation. Uh, 
lots of things seem to be up in the air. Obviously, tonight, right, we're still right in the middle of the presidential election, waiting to see the outcome of that and what all that might mean. Uh, just, it's just a little bit of a troubling time. Okay. People are worried. All right. And so uh, we can find some strength and encouragement from God's Word in these troubling times. We want to look at that with you tonight. Uh, you sent out some questions for us to consider earlier today. Yeah, to our update list earlier today, we sent out these questions. Number one, what is the basic biblical truth about God's involvement in the affairs of nations? Number two, what does secular history tell us about great empires and what happened to them? Number three, how does biblical history relate to and confirm secular history about the ultimate destiny of great empires? Uh, and then as a follow-up, from biblical examples, what can we deduce about how long God allows nations to exist and thrive? Number four, with the lessons of history in mind, what do you foresee for our nation? Number five, as Christians, what can we do to help and protect the future of our nation? 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com and in the chat room if you're watching us live to comment on those important topics. Now, i got some emails here from Kentucky and Georgia. Uh, and we'll take your comments as well. Uh, send them in. We'd love to hear from you as we go through the program. And, we see, and, and, and get in the chat room. Uh, I, I, I can identify listeners in Minnesota and Iowa and Tennessee and California in the chat room tonight. Uh, get in there and join in the conversation via the chat room if you, if you would like to do that. We'd like you to do that. So the first question we asked, Jacob, I think is the easiest one. What is the basic biblical truth about God's involvement in the affairs of nation? And our emailers have jumped on the book of Daniel, and that's where I was going with that. Let's look okay. at those. Here's what Jim from Tompkinsville, Kentucky said. God, uh, uh, Daniel reminded Nebuchadnezzar that God ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth to whomsoever he will. Daniel 4.25. Jeremiah said, I have made the earth, the man, and the beast that are upon the ground, and by my great power and by my outstretched arm have given it unto whom it seemeth, uh, seemed to meet unto me. It is clear as the sovereign of the universe that God is in complete control. Through his providence, he raises up nations, Israel, and brings them to nothing. Yet he instructs his people to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, Matthew 21, 22, verse 21, as well as to be subject to the higher powers, Romans 13, verse 1. In this sense, then God works through His people also. Okay, so the the key the key expression there, I think, in the book of Daniel, God ruleth in the kingdoms of men and giveth it to whomsoever He will. Uh, also, in Daniel chapter two, verse twenty one, He changes the times and seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Notice, He removes kings. He sets up kings. So God, God, God certainly is involved uh, in the affairs of nations. There's just simply no doubt about that. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, said God does intervene with the existence of nations. He changes the times and the seasons. Oh, he's on your same brain wave. Oh, yeah, he's got that same verse. He removes kings as well as sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge unto them that no understanding. Daniel 22, verse 21. Regarding God and the nations, such comes under the purview of the providence of God. Just because God does not work in a miraculous way today does not mean he does not work in, the, in his providence to accomplish his will. God works providentially behind the scenes. One cannot dogmatically argue whether or not a happening is providential or non-providential because of the true nature of providence. While God's providence has not changed, we need to remember that we do not have inspired men to interpret God's providential working among the nations today. Okay, I think that's exactly right, Kent. And I, I would stress the idea that God providentially works in the world today. We believe that the age of miracles is over. We don't think God is doing miraculous things. He certainly has the power to do whatever he wants, but his word tells us that he has ended that, that he's not working that way at his discretion, not because we're, we're, not, we're not putting him in a box somehow or another, but he has uh, indicated that the age of miraculous events is, is not uh, with us today, but certainly he continues to work as proof that he works in nations. Consider this instruction in first Timothy two verse one. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of thanks be made for all men, for Kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior. Well, if God's not working, 
in regards to kings and governors, those in authority. Why would we? Why would we? What's the use of praying if God do, doesn't do anything? If there's no answer to prayer, if he, then that'd be just wasted breath to pray for such people. The fact that God instructs us to pray for them indicates, as Kent was pointing out, that He providentially does act. Yeah. Um, now, some have said, you know, we shouldn't vote or we shouldn't even maybe, well, obviously we can't argue with pray, but we shouldn't think that we could do anything to influence the nations or intervene. If God is giving it to whom he wills, are we somehow working against God? Did God want Joe Biden to win this election and we voted for Donald Trump or vice versa? The providence of God is at play here, and we're not going to work against it, as I think we mentioned last week. Yeah, you know, so we're going to vote. We're going to make our best choice in such matters. And we talked about some of the print. That was our lesson last week is what should we take into consideration when we're making these votes? So we take godly principles, biblical principles into consideration, and we make a judgment about whom we should vote for. Well, that may very well be one of the tools that God's using providentially to bring about his will in our nation. We, 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 you can't put your finger on a thing and say that's God's providence at work, but we, we believe that he can use such things, and he, we may be such a tool you know, of his providence. In that discussion last week, I think it hit me on the way home, we did not mention the book of Esther, and uh, where uh, Mordecai's instruction to Esther was, you know, you need to do what you're supposed to do because you might be in this position because God puts you here. To protect her nation. Yes. But Esther 4, verse 14 uh, he says, uh, for thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, there shall uh, enlargement and deliverance arise f- to, for, to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? He said, you're going to get, God's going to get done what he wants to get done. But you might just be the instrument that he planned to use. But notice the way he phrased that. Who knows? Yeah. You can't say for sure, but it may be the very case. Um so this raises a question. I don't know if we dealt with this last week. I don't hardly think we did. We said that God rules in the affairs of nations. Romans 13, verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. If God rules in the affairs of nations, how how then does it come to pass? If God has ordained civil government, how can you explain the rise of something like Nazi Germany with all of its atrocities, uh, Soviet Russia with all of its murderous atrocities, King Ahab, Red, Red China and all of, all of the millions slaughtered uh, in China uh, and in Cambodia. And how, if, God, if God is in charge, well, I think the best parallel to that I, that we can give is Civil government is ordained of God. This is God's plan for our well-being. In the same way, God ordained marriage. He ordained marriage for our well-being. So he, he, he ordained the husband-wife relationship. That, does that mean that every husband is a good husband and every wife is a good wife? No. But the plan of God is perfect and in our best interest. And so men are going to men can abuse the the system. They can they can defy his intention, but God's plan is perfect. Well, let me ask you about that. What about what about Daniel four verse twenty five that God gives it to whomsoever, whomsoever He will? Does He does He determine every leader, every ruler? I don't know that I would. I don't. Th- I don't know that we could prove that. I think that would put us in the in the capacity of trying to perfectly identify God's providence. And okay. I don't think we can. Okay. All right. Maybe you sign in the chat room on that during the break. I, I think what you get when you get bad rulers, especially in our country, if, if, if we choose bad rulers because we have a choice to vote, then that, that depicts our corruption, not God's. If Well, yes. But let's look at the Old Testament. What about King Saul? Was King Saul a bad king? 
He turned out to be. Yeah, but he, but was, he, he was picked by God. But he was good initially. Yeah, but so, so maybe some of these leaders God chooses and then allows their free will to come into play exactly. where they do things that he doesn't approve of. Exactly. Uh, and and so, yeah, so well, you, like you said, you're getting into some of the areas where we don't have revelation. We should be careful about uh, trying to figure those things let out. Me, let me throw in a couple more verses. Psalm twenty two twenty eight. He rules over the nations. Revelation 1, verse 5. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Revelation 19, verse 16, he's king of kings and lord of lords. And so the, our, our question is, what's the basic biblical truth about God's involvement in the affairs of nations? He is involved with nations. He rules over the affairs of men. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, your next question for us tonight. Okay, the next question is going to be, what does secular history tell us about great empires and what happened to them? Yeah. Now, we're, now we're, going to, we're, going to, we're challenging you to draw on your knowledge of history, not, not Bible. This question is just about pure history. What do you know just from a his, totally not biblical but just simply secular history? What does it tell us about great empires and what happened to him we're back after this break don't go anywhere are you listening there's going to be a test on this stuff stay tuned the virtual bible study will be right back after this are you sure that the bible said something but you just don't know where is your salvation based on a passage that you know is in the bible but when asked you couldn't find it do you do things in worship but you couldn't turn to a book chapter and verse to show that god wants you to do it If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to overcoming Bible Deficit Disorder in the metro area by teaching the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. You are invited to attend our worship services on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Join us in the fight against Bible Deficit Disorder. Attend one of our services for a healthy dose of the Bible. That's at the College View Church of Christ. Please don't give in to Bible deficit disorder. Here's some quotes worth pondering. God gave everyone patience. Wise people use it. A person who hungers for money will starve to death spiritually. Extreme times demand deep faith. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program as we look at how God deals with nations and some important lessons for us to learn from the scriptures tonight that can give us some uh, some strength and some comfort in uh, uncertain times. Yeah. All right. So I asked the question. Let's, let's read what our, our emailers said, Jacob. And then I've I got a, a, something I want to bring out here. Well, let's look at Jim up in Kentucky. He said, secular history records that great empires do not last forever. Only the kingdom of God is eternal. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Rome, etc., have all crumbled over time. We are reminded of them and their glory only from those things which we can dig up out of the sands of the desert. Right. Uh, and then Kent says the great empires of the past were defeated and fell largely by their own internal corruption. Okay. I think those are observations are both right. One of the reasons that I asked that question that way was because I've been doing a little reading recently about, about great empires and what has happened to them and how long they lasted and thrived. And actually, there's an interesting essay written by Sir John Glubb. Uh, uh, a British author and lecturer, his his essay is entitled The Fate of Empires and Search for Survival. And he estimated in his essay that most empires do not last longer than roughly 250 years. He has a whole, in his essay, he has a whole table of examples, some that we recognize because we've read about these in the Bible. The Assyrian Empire, he, he says and he gives some dates, and, and again, you'd have to, and somebody could quibble about the, when they came to prominence, prominence and when they when they fell. But he says Assyria lasted 247 years, Persia lasted 208 years, Greece, uh, that is Alexander the Great and his successors, 231 years. The Roman Empire, now they existed before they became really identified as the empire, and they lasted somewhat after the empire had pretty much broken apart. But he he rates the Roman Empire as having lasted 207 years in its in its zenith, in its prime, in its in its in its peak. Uh, 
it's an interesting essay, and you might look that up. Again, The Fate of Empires and Search for Survival by Sir John Glubb, G-L-U-B-B. Uh, I don't know that I agree with everything that he has to say, but he says the decline of these great empires is due to, one, too long a period of wealth and power, number two, selfishness, number three, love of money, number four, loss of sense of duty. Man, when you read that, you think he's talking about us. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, uh, this guy, this glove wrote in the early 1900s, okay. about 100 years ago, okay. he, he was writing this stuff. But it sounds like he's identifying us when yeah. he says that. All right. Uh, so, again, if you if you take that number, a, a nation exists and thrives for about 250 years, that does not look good for us because you think about if you if you mark at 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 uh, 1776, 2026 is 250 years of the wow. American history, and and so I'm, I'm telling you that in itself is pretty scary, but I think uh, as as our uh, corresponders uh, correspondents also suggested it all great empires have have fallen and as kent said largely by their own internal corruption now we're going to talk a little bit about what we foresee for our country but i mean that's history and and we can certainly learn from history that great empires do not endure indefinitely Uh, because some of those on that list i mean assyria persia Greece. Alexander the Great sat down and cried because he had there was no more place to conquer. He had conquered everything. So we're not just talking about small localized serfdoms. We're talking about effectively worldwide empires and they didn't Gone. and they didn't last. Gone. Yeah. All right. So uh again, that that's a that's a a lesson based in history, but an interesting one I think. And again, when you when you when you read that, then you begin to think, well, what, what could possibly be our future? All right. Now, here's the follow-up to that. Question three was, how does biblical history relate to and confirm secular history about the ultimate destiny of great empires? All right. So, I, I, got, I got some notes here from an old sermon I preached along these lines, and I just want to go through some of the ones that I think our listeners will recognize. The Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire was again one of those effectively worldwide empires. They were they were big boy on the block. They they were they were beating up on everybody around. They had control. The ancient historian Herodotus said that the city of Babylon. I thought this was pretty amazing. I don't know that this sounds like it might be an exaggeration, but it's actually in the writings of Herodotus. He said the walls around the city of Babylon were three hundred feet tall. And 75 feet thick. Mm. That's pretty hard to imagine, even in our day and time. That's a lot of rock. Yeah. But but uh, to say the very least, we would have to concede that the city of Babylon was a highly fortified city. But Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 13, beginning verse 17, Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, and Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah prophesied that 150 years before Babylon fell. Isaiah prophesied that when Babylon was at its zenith of strength. Whooping up on everybody. Yeah. So that, I mean, and it came to pass. It exactly came to pass. Uh, Here's a lesser known kingdom, but it was significantly mentioned uh, in Bible times, the Edomites. You know, remember, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Mm -hmm. Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers, Esau the older. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, and there was always animosity between the Edomites and the Israelites. And when enemies invaded Judah, the Edomites rejoiced about that. They were glad. They were glad for Judah to suffer. Uh, In Psalm 137, verse 7 Remember, O Lord, the children of Eden in Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, "Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof." And so the Edomites were rejoicing when when Jerusalem and Judah were suffering. 
They actually thought that they were pretty safe, very safe, really. Their their capital city was the fortress of Petra. And Petra was a city built on a granite ridge that stood 2,000 feet above the plain which surrounded it. So they they thought they had a natural fortress. Who can attack? We're 2,000 feet. They'll have to come at us from 2,000 feet below us. We've got the high ground. We're guaranteed the high ground if anybody tries to attack. Obadiah said, though, Obadiah prophesied against them. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. God's going to bring them down. So uh, here, here, uh, not not a major world empire, but a significant nation, the Edomites. God brought them down. Abraham was promised. This goes. Let's go back a little further in history. Abraham was promised the land of Canaan, but when God made the promise of to Canaan, he he didn't give it to Abraham. He said several generations would pass before Abraham's descendants would actually occupy the land of Canaan. And he explained why. Genesis 15, verse 15. Thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation, thy seed shall come hither again. Notice, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The Amorites were the wicked people who occupied Canaan land. They were actually the ones that the Israelites would drive out. When the Israelites came from Egyptian captivity, they drove the Amorites out of the land of Canaan to possess it. God used the Israelites to punish the Ammonites. But notice, he said, I'm going to give this land to you, Abraham, but not yet, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, there's a, and this really goes to the second part of that question. From these examples, what can we deduce about how long God allows nations to exist and thrive he allows them uh, he he knows he knows what's going on he even foreknows the moral character of nations and he reacts to their moral conduct and nations are spared until they become so corrupt they reach a level of corruption that god will no longer tolerate and then he cuts them off that's the answer to that part of the question how long will uh, according to the bible how long will a nation exist and thrive until they become so wicked and corrupt that God won't tolerate them anymore and he will punish them. That, that Again, that's Genesis 15, verses 15 and 16, that I think are really significant to this question about God's dealings with nations. Okay. Uh, quickly, Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 18, verse 20. The Lord said, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Their sin is very grievous. Again, he knew what was going on in those wicked cities. Remember that Abraham tried to negotiate with God. And, and he started out with, if we could find 50 righteous people, would you spare the city? And God said, yeah. And surprisingly, Abraham kept trying to negotiate him down. Maybe he'd visited the city not too long ago. He starts thinking, well, that may be too many. He got him down to 10. Yeah. And God agreed. If there were even just 10 righteous people in Sodom, I would spare the city. But, of course, there weren't that many. And Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Nineveh, the city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Yeah, yeah. Huge now, city. Huge city. Three, and we, maybe it took three days to walk from one side to the other. A huge city and a very powerful empire. The Assyrians, again, as we said, were the major world empire of their time. God told Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. In other words, he knew what was going on among the Assyrians and in the city of their capital city of Nineveh. They were very wicked people, extremely bloody and oppressive to the people that they conquered. But when Jonah went, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but not forever. And the prophet Nahum said, Nahum 1, beginning verse 1, the burden of Nineveh, skip to verse 8, with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof. And he did. So we got we got we got a catalog of examples from the Bible. What happens to great empires? Well, just like history, history says they all they all crumble and fall. The Bible says that too, and and really dovetails and connects with what we know actually did happen. Of course, the greatest example of all probably the Jewish nation. 
God punished the Jewish nation and ultimately brought them to a permanent forever end because they rejected Jesus. We know they were uh, there were repeated episodes of their unfaithfulness and God punishing the nation of Israel. But the final rejection, when they finally rejected God's own son, their ultimate destruction was predicted. Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus went out, departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And we know that happened when the Roman armies invaded Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and destroyed the city and ruined it, really, forever being able to reestablish themselves according to their national identity. All of the genealogical records, everything that the whole practice of the Jews' religion was was based upon, forever destroyed. But even by Jesus' time, the uh, the nation of Israel was just a, a fragment of what it had been exactly. in its height. I mean, and you could watch, you could read throughout the Old Testament and read about how they're just being decimated by their sin and their wickedness, how they're yeah. just disintegrating yeah. and, and suffering. And and just plummeting from the, the the pinnacle of their existence because of their sin and their wickedness. And yeah. it's, a, it's a sad story. Yeah. Um, Brian's in California. He says, often the case a republic cannot su- survive just ceases to exist eventually when an empire status is achieved. Constant wars and foreign subjug- subjugation demands a precedence over domestic considerations, including civil liberties. Yeah, and and I think you're right, Brian, and that does go along, I think, with what Kent said. Usually, in fact, always, really, great empires fall from internal corruption. Here's what Jim said about the, I think we got those, didn't we? Already? No, no. We, oh, okay, go yeah. ahead. Uh, actually, that's going to break. We'll get back with okay. those comments. Well, what do you read from the Bible? Uh, any other examples that we've overlooked? where biblical history tells us that uh, great empires ultimately uh, fall and the reasoning behind that. We'll get this week's bullet point. We'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of S. Leonard Tyler. Often when we pass the casket of a friend or loved one, someone will remark, he sure does look natural. This is a tender, thoughtful, and concerned expression. It is one that may be said over you and me sooner than we think. What will it take to make us look natural? Think about that for a minute. At a recent funeral, I noticed that the deceased had his Bible tucked under his arm. One of the family members explained that it made him appear natural and that she believed it would have been according to his desire. This was impressive to me, for it suggested his attitude toward the Bible and indicated that he had spent much time with it while he was alive. On another occasion, the one who had died was buried in a casket made from planks he had set aside in his garage for the purpose. He was dressed in a pair of blue overalls. The man had lived a simple life and was never seen in anything other than such overalls. He had given instructions for his burial before he died. He did not want anything done that would look unnatural. How would you need to be dressed to look natural at your funeral? Would you look natural with a Bible in your hand? What kind of dress would make you look natural? A short skirt, a low-cut blouse, shorts, a swimming suit, or a bikini? What about a pack of cigarettes in your shirt pocket or a cigar hanging from one corner of your mouth? Maybe a can of beer in your hand. What about the place where your funeral would be conducted? Would you appear natural in a church building? Or would it seem strange to see you there since you seldom, if ever, attended the services? Is it not unnatural to read the Bible, sing spiritual songs, and pray over a person's dead body who never participated in such activities of worship himself? Do you really think about death? Do you prepare for it? One thing is for sure, death is coming to each one of us. Just how the body is prepared will be of no importance to us then. But consequences of how we lived our lives will matter because that will be the basis of our judgment. May God help us to stop, think, and turn to him through faith and obedience before it is too late. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, this is Preston Jackson from Valdosta, Georgia, and you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. Reminded this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com or check out the YouTube feed at collegeulivestream.com. Kyle, looking good. Yeah, yeah, which uh, hopefully I... We pray that we'll be able to continue to stream from the building. <laughs> so, the censorship uh, thing yeah. keeps getting worse. They might knock us off the interstate, Kyle. Oh, yeah. 
Or uh, interstate, yeah. internet, well, yeah. uh, internet other, and interstate. There are other <laughs> options, though. There are other Absolutely. options. Yeah, so Kyle's not easily uh, declined there. So, um, All right, Kyle, thanks for doing that. And um, we're talking about uh, how God deals with nations on the program tonight. Well, I want to remind you before we go any further, if you have any questions about anything you hear on this program, or if you have any questions about the uh, Bible subject in general, send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you at any time. All right, so we we were yeah talking. we were ready to look at our list yeah we, and we were talking about the question of how does Bible history c- c- relate to and confirm what we know from secular history about the demise of nations and what can we determine about how long God will allow a nation to exist? Jim in Kentucky uh, he has uh, given us some good history here. He says biblical history records that the people of God interacted with the empires of Egypt, Assyria. Babylon, etc., and it is the people of God who continue long after those empires have turned to dust. In Daniel's prophecy and revealing of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2, verses 36 through 45, Daniel foretold of four empires, kingdoms of men, that would exist, each one succeeding another, with Nebuchadnezzar's being the first, which would be defeated by another, until God would set up his kingdom during the fourth and final kingdom of men, Daniel 2, verse 44. This reveals that those kingdoms, Babylon, Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greek, and Roman, all existed at one point, were considered the greatest of their days, and now have long since passed into the pages of history. As far as length, I do not know if there is a set time. We can be sure that God allows them to exist only so long as they fulfill his purpose. Some suggest that time periods of 200 to 250 years, but I do not know if that is accurate. Right. So Jim uh, has given us some good history there. He looks at that uh, that uh, vision that Nebuchadnezzar had of the of that statue, and um, and some draws some good parallels there. Kent said the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. Psalm nine verse seventeen. And noting the great empires that were mentioned in the Old Testament, even though God brought them into great power, He also caused their demise because of sin and corruption. In studying the scriptures, I do not believe that one can develop a specific timeline. That by numbering days, months, and years of former nations, how long God will tolerate sin and uncertain uncivility in a nation. I do, however, sincerely believe that when a nation becomes so sinfully corrupt and uncivil, that if things do not change, God can and will eventually allow its destruction. I think that's a good way to put it there, the way Kent has put it. No, I, the Bible doesn't identify a length of time. We were We were commenting about that essay by that British historian uh, who he says he, he kind of sees the 250-year mark as the average. The Bible doesn't say that. So, you know, that's that's his historical observation. The Bible doesn't say that. But what the Bible does indicate is that when a nation becomes too evil, too corrupt, God won't tolerate anymore, and God brings them down. God rules in the affairs of men. That's the first point we made. And God will not tolerate a nation that becomes so evil and corrupt uh, he will he will bring it down, and he has over and over and over again. All right. Uh, let us know your thoughts tonight. We want to hear from you. Uh, on to question number four tonight. All right. So, so far we've dealt with history. Now bring the lessons of history, both secular history and biblical history, bring those lessons of history to the present day question four we ask our email update list was with the lessons of history in mind what do you foresee for our nation well uh obviously all the things that we that we just said from the bible are there for us to learn from uh remember what paul said to the corinthians in first corinthians 10 verse 11 and 12 now all these things happened to them to the israelites as examples and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall in other words we're, we're god expects us to learn from those things that we were referencing now we know we know another fact mentioned by Malachi in Malachi three verse six. I am the Lord; I change not. God's righteous character is unchanged, and if He punished wicked nations historically throughout time, then we have no reason to believe that He wouldn't punish wicked nations in our day and time. Now, I think when we say that, uh, pretty quickly, what What's going to 
people are going to say, well, hang on a minute. We're not as bad as those people. I mean, you, you just mentioned some horrible people. You just mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. We're not as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. You just mentioned uh, the Amorites. We're not so bad as the Amorites that occupied the land of Canaan before the Israelites. We're not as bad as those people. How can you, how can you use those examples and try to correlate them to us? Well, actually, stop and think about that for a minute. In regards to homosexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah, we know the, the, the exponential advance of the homosexual agenda in our country. The Supreme Court has ruled that same-sex marriage must be uh, recognized in all states of the union. Mm-hmm. How, how are we not different than Sodom in regards to homosexuality? Yep. Here's one that I think really strikes to the heart. The Amorites, the Amorites. Now, again, remember who those people were. They were the they were the tribes of people who occupied the promised land. And God used the Israelites to conquer them, to drive them out when they came out of Egyptian captivity. They worshiped idols and probably their most famous idol was Molech. And and the what the Amorites did was they offered their babies, they sacrificed their babies to the idol god Molech. Which I think all of us just are just appalled by that notion. We're not as bad as that, are we? But then you stop and think, what have we done with our babies? You know, by the by the horrible murderous crime of abortion. Yep. I think we mentioned this last week, but uh mentioning it again Recent statistics indicate that since 1973, when the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Roe versus Wade, uh, 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 I guess that's yeah, Roe versus Wade, yeah, uh, uh, allowing for legalized abortion nationwide, 61 or 62 million babies have been aborted. Now, what is that? That's uh, that's going on. 50 years, I mean, soon be 50 years. Within the last 50 years, 62 million babies have been killed. That's a number that's just mind-boggling, 62 million. You think we don't kill our babies? I I like this comparison just for shock value. If you want to get a grasp on how many deaths that is, compare it to the number of American soldiers who have died in all armed conflicts that the United States has been involved in beginning at the Revolutionary War until today. So that includes a lot of fighting. It it includes the very deadly World War I, World War II. It includes Korea and Vietnam and and all all the fighting in the Persian Gulf area in, in recent decades. You know how many soldiers have died in all of those conflicts? Not that many. 1.5 million. 60 times more? Yeah. So 50, 50, times, s- more. 50 times more have have been aborted. Unbelievable. No, in other words, we grieve our war dead. We build monuments to our war dead, our heroes who protected our freedom. And the number who died pales in comparison to the number that have been aborted. Yeah, there's... And so you say, we're not as bad as those people, are you? You really think we're that bad? Yeah, yeah, we're that bad. There's a lot of parallels between that uh, the offering of your baby to the god Molech and to abortion. You think about it. Why did they, why did they do that? Why, did, why would you take your baby and offer it to this idol? Because you thought it would make your life better. Something for me. It would make you happier yeah. and make your life more full. Why yeah. do people want an abortion today? Because it... It's it'll it'd be too much on me. This to baby it. will interfere with my life. It won't make me happy. Yeah. Same pr- parallel. Yeah. They, the history tells us that Molech was some type of god with its arms out like this, and they would lay the babies they'd on his, heat, mo- his heat, arms would be heated, heated to red, hot. red hot. Yeah. Put the baby on there, and then what they would do is they'd play loud music so that the parents couldn't hear the baby screaming in terror and in pain. What do we do today? There's a lot of controversy about. They want to mandate that 
parents have to watch an ultrasound or see an ultrasound before they can do abortion. Oh, no, realize, don't make it. That's not that's, that's we don't want to we don't want to see that. Right. Yeah, yeah. See, see the parallel here. Yeah. It, we're, we're no better than them. We're, we're probably worse. Oh, yeah. All I, right. I can't imagine that the the Amorites sacrificed anywhere close to that many babies to Molech. Right. right. Uh, so, again, yeah, we are pretty bad now. If we were to stop right there, we got a couple of uh, comments in the chat room, Jacob. Yeah, Grant is up in Franklin, Tennessee. He says, sometimes God will use a more wicked nation to bring judgment on a less wicked nation. I believe that's true. That, that, that caused a lot of consternation for the Israelites, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why, why are you... Why are you uh, didn't Habakkuk grieve that? Or, yeah, I think so. Uh, that he, why, why would they do that? We even know it in the New Testament. The Romans were pretty wicked people, and God used them to punish the Israelites. So that that, but then He turns around and punishes yeah, them too. Yeah, they'll get theirs. Yeah, they'll yeah. get theirs. Yeah. Dwight and Michelle said abortion, homosexuality, marriage, divorce, remarriage. We live in a very wicked society. Yeah, no doubt about it. Okay. All right. All right. So if we were to if we were to say, okay, program's over right now, I think we'd probably send everybody to bed in a depression because the, the, these are sad comments commentaries on our nation and what what the future may hold for our nation but let's try to when we come back from this last break let's try to do uh, finish up on a little bit of an upbeat note and and try to answer the question the last question we ask is ask christians what can we do to help and protect the future of our nation we've got a few comments here also on uh, what's in for what we can see for foresee for our nation coming up from uh, Jim and from Ken. We'll get those and we'll get your comments. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, and Bible class teachers and all church members had strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you can always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible. And we're still doing the same things you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent survey asked respondents what were their most important priorities in this current 2020 election year. 79% said it was the economy, 68% said health care, 59% said violent crime, 57% said foreign policy. But sadly, only 40% of those who responded said ending abortion was a priority in their voting. That information is via the Pew Research Council. The Word of God says in Proverbs 14, verse 34, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3, 17. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight. Going to the top of the hour, we're going to go quick here. Kent in uh, Calhoun, Georgia, as he talks about lessons of history in mind, what do you perceive for our nation? He says, unless there's a forthcoming change, what I see is not good. When a nation ceases to maintain basic civility, it cannot be used of God and will thereby become so corrupt from within it will self-destruct. The United States of America has never been a Christian nation. Such a reference is a misuse of the name Christian. A Christian is an individual who obeyed the gospel of Christ and is a member of the New Testament church. When one uses the name Christian, either as a collective noun or as an adjective such as not scriptural terminology, this does not mean that a nation or nations cannot be God-fearing. When nations cease to collectively fear God and reject basic morality and civility, they cannot continue to exist. We see this from past history. Great civilizations of the past were destroyed by their own corruption. And Jim says, I I foresee our nation, Jim says, will only continue to exist as long as we fulfill God's plan. He has not revealed what that is, so we cannot know if our nation will exist for another 100 years or 100 weeks. However, at some point, our nation will fall into the pages of history as another rises to take its place and provide a refuge for the people of God until such a time as he determines the end of all things. Okay, very good. Thanks for that. Uh, In the chat room, Brian in California has asked a question uh, that we... We may can touch on here. We may need to talk about it in another program. Yeah, it may become necessary to talk about it in another program, depending on what kind of rules and regulations our government passes down. He says, can a Christian use sound discretion and sensible judgment in determining when to subject to some arbitrary ordinance of the civil authorities proposed under the auspices of protecting public safety, that is, uh, wearing masks? 
I'm thinking of the context Jesus used in Matthew 2, verse 27 regarding the Sabbath. Yeah, that's the sort of famous expression of Jesus. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Uh, therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also. The Sabbath, I think that Jesus was saying, I know Sabbath law. I know how to apply Sabbath law. I wrote the Sabbath law, you know. Yeah. And, uh, Don't go telling that, me I broke the Sabbath law. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so he was saying, you know, that they're, that they're forced rules about sabbath keeping were not what were intended by god i I don't know that that would apply to the question that that uh, that brian has asked i you know i don't like mask wearing and i have not been wearing a mask in our area it has not been mandated but if it were to be and i know it is in some places then I think the rule we would have to go by is 1 Peter 2, verse 3, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or as unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. They, I, I don't like mask wearing. I don't want to wear a mask. But if I'm mandated to wear a mask, I feel like I would have to because there's nothing about wearing a mask that's sinful. Yeah. The, the only caveat to obeying the, the ordinance of man is if the ordinance of man causes us to, to violate the law of God. Uh, Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men. But other than that, I, I think we'd have to. I don't like it. Brian, I'm here to tell you, I would not like that at all. But I, I could actually foresee that coming down the pike. I, I agree. Uh, but, yeah, First Peter chapter 2, verse 3 is, not, is very specific. Uh, it's not obey every ordinance that you like, every ordinance that makes sense, every ordinance you think is in good judgment. It's every ordinance, and that's what we're called to do. Now, that gets us into uh, the next question that you offered, because I think in doing that, we're letting our light shine. Yeah. yeah I mean, what, do you want to be seen as the one who's the rebel who is not submitting, or do you want to see, be, be seen as the one who submits to the higher authorities that God has ordained. Yeah. Uh, and so number five, you asked. Number that. five, I asked, as Christians, what can we do to help and protect the future of our nation? Well, uh, I have some things on my list, uh, and one of them would be uh, m- maintaining a good example, uh, living a personally godly life. Uh, you know, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Uh, you're the salt of the earth in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew Five verses fourteen through sixteen, uh, and, and so we we ought to set a worthy example that others can see Christ living in us. Philippians two, uh, verse fifteen. In Philippians two, verse fifteen, Paul said, "Be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." And so that that would be one, that's one of the things we can do yep. is is to live righteous lives and and, and therefore set an example, uh, maintaining our own personal godliness, but also setting an example for others. Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned uh, early on in our program, we mentioned the idea of praying for our country. And I hope all of us as Christians are doing that. I think right now, in particular, is an important time for us to be praying. Uh, as, as a lot of things in our country are sort of up in the air, we don't know what the future may bring. But certainly is a very appropriate time for us to be engaged in prayer. Again, that, that scripture we referenced earlier was First Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. And notice the goal of that prayer is in verse 2 there, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That's the goal. Yeah. It's not that our economy would be strong. Pray that my 401k will will keep growing. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's so that we can live like we should, and, uh, and, and that needs to be our goal and our focus. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, I also think that... We need to focus on focus a lot of energy on where we have the most influence, and that's in our own homes and in our, with our own families. You know, I can't I can't influence much in Washington D.C. I can't influence much in Nashville, Tennessee. But where I can have influence is in my own home with my own family. And you, we remember the famous statement by Joshua, Joshua twenty four verse fifteen: "Choose you this day whom you will serve." 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that, I mean, you, you get the idea. Joshua was absolutely determined that, that for, he was going to do the right thing in his family. And that's, I think we got to do it. We need to guard our families. Our families are at risk in this cruel and evil world. And so might not be able to have huge impact in the political scene nationwide or even statewide or even in our own local communities. But we can work hard to protect our own families and keep them safe so morally. There, so, yeah, so I've got three kids at home. That, that needs to be my number one goal. But, uh, you know, if people are awful upset, God, we're upset maybe that maybe the, the candidate we thought was best for the country is place. But I will tell you, are there more Christians today than there were four years ago because Donald Trump sat in that seat in the White House? I don't think so. They're, no, they're, I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Has Donald Trump done anything to convert people to Christ? Now, he may have, may have made it easier for that to happen, perhaps, but he hasn't done that. What individuals do that with yeah. the Word of God? Yeah. Romans 1.16. Yeah. Uh, and so we need to understand that, that, that we, are, we can have an influence, even in terrible, wicked times. Maybe you have a better influence when times are... Or, or bad and hard. That yeah, certainly worked yeah, for the Christians yeah. in the first century. And, and by maintaining personal godliness, by 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 keeping our families focused on important spiritual matters, we may influence some other. I might my neighbor is not a Christian, but maybe by my influence he could be made a Christian. That'd be one more person to live righteously in this yeah. corrupt nation. Yeah. And so you know by by. Setting a good example, living godly lives, protecting our own families, make sure they're on track. That potentially will change the hearts of some others around us. That's And that will be a positive thing in our nation. Dwight and Michelle said we need to pray for this nation. We need to be active in teaching others the truth. We need to set a good and proper example to others. All these uh, can help our nation to be a better place. Amen to that, Dwight and Michelle. Thank you for that comment. Yeah. Kent says, by being faithful to Christ, when individuals are faithful to Christians, they serve as godly role models for society as a whole, wherever they live, and seek to have a positive influence on those around them. And Jim says, as Christians, we can be the salt of the earth and the light that directs people to God. We can preserve ourselves or prepare ourselves to serve God, whether here or somewhere else. We can focus on heaven as our our goal and not get caught up in earthly concerns about one nation versus another. We can continue to pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, First Timothy 2, verse 2. We can render unto Caesar while we are allowed and uh, and render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, Romans 13, verse 7. We can follow the footsteps of our Savior and guard our mouths and actions when things don't go the way we wish, believing that God has some better thing in store for us that he, according to his will, knows what is best for us and our nation in fulfilling his plan to spread his word to save the lost. Thank you for that, Jim. Okay, good, good, good. All right. Uh, We're just out of time, but I I would add one more thing. Yeah, one more. Speak out. Speak out against the corruption that you witness in our country. Uh, Declare God's truth uh, against the evils that plague our nation. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 46, I will speak of thy testimonies before kings and will not be ashamed. I don't don't care. If Donald Trump was here, I should not be ashamed to tell him what I think are the moral truths he needs to hear. I think it can can potentially grow harder for us to speak out the the moral prerogatives of the Word of God. I think, uh, as we said earlier in the program, you know, this censorship thing could, could potentially become more and more difficult for us to deal with but we're going to have to keep speaking out against homosexuality and and abortion and all uh, of course those are just two things there's a host of other evils that plague our country i had i had some folks get upset to me when i uh upset at me one time when i was making the emphasis on those two moral questions and and uh, these are good christians and there's, there's a whole lot of other moral issues i know that i'm not saying those are the only ones I'm just using those as an illustration of the fact that we need to we need to boldly speak God's truth on moral issues, and those those are a couple of very important ones, but there are plenty of others as well. All right, Kyle, any thoughts uh, from you tonight? Uh, which it's a good program. I think it's a good. You know, we've had some very good lessons in our uh, 
Bible classes and our worship services about just remaining positive and no matter who's the president, no matter who's in the office of uh, the president or the senate or the house, we need to make sure we're being Christians all the time. So Exactly right. Yeah. You, so. You, you mentioned, back to your thought about being bold, Dad, I, I thought about Acts chapter 4, verse 29, in the midst of persecutions, when things were tough, uh, the people that had crucified Jesus were now coming after the Christians. What did they pray for? They prayed for boldness. Yeah. And we need boldness. In Acts 4, verse 29, And all, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They didn't They didn't tell God what to do. They just said, they just wanted, they wanted to... Be confident that God was aware, and he is, yep. and then that they would react boldly. Yeah. That's what we got to do. Yeah. God's told us what our job is, even in a wicked and dangerous society. And we need to pray for boldness, that we'll be strong and we'll be faithful to him no matter the cost. Dad, a good discussion and a very pertinent discussion for tonight. Yeah, I hope I hope that we can all be encouraged to do what we can. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time tonight. Enjoy Thanks, being with you. Appreciate you being a part of the program, and we hope that you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope to make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.